dear fellow redeemed in Christ. One day, when my son was a preschooler, he asked his mom, is Laverne our neighbor? He doesn't live next door, but he is our neighbor, answered my wife. My son then said, he should not be coming to our house. My wife was puzzled. Why is that? My son answered, the Bible says, you shall not come to your neighbor's house. <laughs> the word covet is, isn't one that we often use in our day-to-day -day conversation, but both the Ninth and Tenth Commandments begin with these words, you shall not covet. In its most basic meaning, to covet means to desire, to take pleasure in. In the Ninth and Tenth Commandments, covet refers to a sinful desire, a desire to have what belongs to our neighbor or to have things that God has forbidden us to have. But why have two separate commandments regarding coveting? The ELS explanation to the Catechism answers that God has given us two commandments that say you shall not covet to impress upon us that greed, envy, and jealousy are very serious sins, especially because they are the root of so many other sins. In other words, sin begins in the heart with our desires. God has given the ninth commandment to protect our home, the place where we live and make a living. The tenth commandment addresses the desire to take from someone else uh, those whom God has given them as their helpers and employees. In recent months, in connection with the hit movie, we have seen TV ads featuring Barbie's dream house. Have you considered what your dream house would be? What kind of house would you like to live in? A big one? For children, maybe they would like to have a house where they could have their own bedroom or have a great big yard to play in. Teenagers or adults would like their own bathroom. In the Old Testament, we read of a king of Israel named Ahab. Ahab lived in a dream house. He had more rooms than a schoolhouse. He had a great big yard. He owned stables full of horses, but he wasn't happy. Ahab had a neighbor named Naboth who owned a vineyard. King Ahab had so much, but he wanted more. He wanted to turn Naboth's vineyard into his own garden. But Naboth didn't want to sell it because it was his inheritance and it had been in his family for a long time. Do you remember what Ahab did? He killed Naboth and stole Naboth's vineyard. And do you suppose that that made Ahab happy? No. God sent the prophet Elijah to condemn Ahab to death. And before he could even get a chance to enjoy his stolen vineyard, Ahab was killed in a war. What good did that vineyard and all those rooms and that big house and all those stables do Ahab then? Was he able to move into a better home after he was dead? No. He ended up living in hell with the devil and his angels in a place worse than you and I can imagine. 
Ahab should have thought more about where he was going to live forever than where he was going to spend a few years here on earth. We don't have to make Ahab's mistake. Whether you live in a small, crowded, ugly house or in a big, roomy, pretty house someday, you're not going to live there for very long. Jesus tells us that he is preparing a place for us in heaven, whereby faith we will live with him forever. So our primary focus in life should not be on the kind of house we are living in here. Psalm 16 prophesies Jesus praying these words to God. O Lord, you are, my portion, are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Notice how the psalmist David uses real estate talk to show the kind of trust that Jesus, true God and true man, has in his heavenly Father. Through Moses, God gave the Israelites inheritance laws. He did this to show how he wanted to provide a lasting home for his people. Since our earthly lives don't last very long, God taught the idea of forever by giving a farm to a family forever. Property was divided among the children with the oldest son getting twice as much as any, everyone else got. Also, a man could not sell his farm. He could only lease it, and then only until the next jubilee year, which came every 50 years. The family farm was a shadow, a picture of the internal inheritance of heaven. Faith looked past mere dirt and trees on earth to a home and real estate in heaven. As true God, all things belong to Jesus, but when he became man, he humbled himself to the point of not having a place to call his own in this world. He said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Though he was the richest person in the universe, holding the title to heaven and earth during his earthly ministry, Jesus was dirt poor. He relied on money, food, and shelter donated by those whom he taught. Yet the Bible says that we are Jesus' inheritance. We are Jesus' most prized possession. By his death, he has purchased and won us, delivering us out of the grasp of sin and death and the devil. Because of this, we too have an inheritance for which to thank God. Here on earth, we may not have a lot of real estate, but doesn't Jesus promise that he's preparing a place for us in the Father's house? Doesn't he promise us treasure in heaven that can't be stolen or spoiled? Heaven is our inheritance. That's because we are really inheriting Jesus. He is that priceless treasure that the Father has left to us. What can a 6,000-acre farm do for you that will last into eternity? What joy can a nice house, a big yard, and tons of appliances really bring you? You only end up with more grass to mow, more walls to wash and paint, more machines to fix and keep running. And if you ever get rich enough to afford others to do all those things, then you have to worry about thieves, crooks, the IRS, and a host of other problems. 
How silly then to think that more land, a nicer house, more rooms, or finer furniture will make us happy. How sinful to plot and struggle and scratch and scrape in order to get all those things and then lose sight of, or maybe even title to, our inheritance in heaven. Many think that they have to work seven days a week in order to earn enough to pay for what they have or the things that they want. And then they miss out on getting together with God's people to get to know Jesus better and to receive his gracious gifts just so they can acquire more stuff. Jesus has something better in store for us than all that. Only Jesus can offer lasting happiness. Happiness knowing that our sins are forgiven and that eternal life is a free gift through him. He offers happiness that lasts. Even when the house you live in has wind whistling through the cracks, when the furniture is crates and boards, when the yard gives you only three feet of room from your next door neighbor. This happiness frees us to enjoy what we have. That way, we do not craftily seek to gain our neighbor's inheritance or home. Rather, it frees us to help those around us enjoy what they have instead of being unhappy that others have it. Even more, we help and serve him in keeping it. We can do that through various Christian relief agencies and fraternal benefit societies. We can also help those who are right in front of us, helping our neighbors in, who are in need financially or lending them a hand in the upkeep of their property. When we help our neighbor hold on to his possessions, we are laying an offering of thanks on God's doorstep for all the good things that God has given us in the name of Jesus. All that we have comes from God. By faith in Christ, we are free to enjoy what he gives us and free to help our neighbor enjoy and keep what God has given them. Amen. Please rise for prayer. Oh God, you command me not to covet my neighbor's house. May I so fear and love you that I do not desire to get my neighbor's possessions by scheming or by pretending to have a right to them, but cause me always to help and serve him in keeping what is his. Through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Amen.